I remember as a, uh, as a little kid, um, whenever I would go out and play in the evening time and eventually my, uh, I guess, internal clock would let me know that supper was coming around. So I'd, I'd run home and I'd come into the, uh, to the kitchen and into our, our dining space and start uh, pestering, badgering, whatever phrase you would like to use. Uh, my... My mother. <laughs> and then as, uh, as I would do so, she, of course, would let me know that, that dinner was not quite ready yet. And I would go through a little bit of a ritual that would include, uh, you know, grabbing my, my stomach and uh, starting to yell and, and cry and, and let her know that death was coming upon me because I was so hungry. And that if I did not receive nourishment, I would certainly die. Uh, now, there, there are a few things to go with this. One is that I have not actually grown out of this. <laughs> and <laughs> not really lying on that. My, my, my wife has learned my facial expression. Uh, and, and the other is now um, there is a payback when you have a two-year-old. It, it happens to you. Now I'm the, the table to flip. But the reality is, is that we all come in here hungry. We come in here hungry and we come in here ready to be filled and ready for something. And so the question for us is really, what is it that we are actually hungry for? What is it that you've been craving? What is it that you've been needing? What is it that has sent you into a hunger storm in some way that... Toddlers. <laughs> They're hungry. You know, like you say. Yeah, yeah. What is it that you are hungry for? What is it that you have come to eat and to partake in here? You know, we I don't think many of you think of letting people know that you come to church to eat. You come to church to be filled. It's not the way that we communicate and talk about it to other people, but the truth is, is that not only do we feed the homeless outside, but we feed the homeless here every time we gather. We come to eat, to partake, and to be filled. And so tonight, as we gather together, we start to remember and to think back to what begins for us the final journey to the cross and the final journey to the empty tomb. And for Thursday, this Holy Thursday, it becomes just as physical as tomorrow's Friday. And just as physical as the resurrection is on Sunday. That on, on Thursday, Christ our Lord began making some very real and physical movements. After all, it's on Thursday that he, he disrobes and he gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. The Lord, the maker of all, gets on his knees and washes his servants' feet. Feet. It's on Thursday that he begins to show the physical distress of what is actually about to hit him and what is about to come, that the worry and anxiety is so heavy on him that he actually cries out for the Lord to take it from him. If there's any possible way, remove this from me. 
is on this night. Betrayal happens with a kiss. That it's on this night that someone's ear is actually cut off. <laughs> so it's very physical. It's a very important day. And it's on this day that a very physical meal is commissioned, is established, is started, and it's hosting for us. And like the rest of the events of all of Holy Week, it's a meal that pulls us out of our current situation and our current time. And it draws our attention not just only to the things of happening now, but to the things of the past and to the things of the future. Because it's a supper. It's a supper that finds its foundation before Christ even came in his incarnation. But a supper that finds its connection to the Passover, to a different meal. A meal that our Savior actually gathered together with his servants to celebrate on that night. A meal for them to eat the bitter herbs, to taste the bread, to drink wine together. It's a supper that's marked out for us in the very psalm that was sung earlier, Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is a praise song, a praise song that is lifted up in response to this to this meal that is given over. Psalm 116 reads, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of a maidservant. And you have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. The psalm is written in response to that meal. Because in this meal, we are celebrating something. In the meal that Christ gathered together with his servants, with his his own disciples, they are celebrating something that was their past, that was their present, and was establishing their future as well. Because in the Passover, as they gather, gather together with their friends and their family, what their mind was drawn back to was a time when God, in fact, heard their voice. When the people of God found themselves in a foreign land, when the people of God found themselves not only in a foreign land, but one that at one time may have been a great blessing to them. A land that had invited them in, that gave them land to work, gave them homes, gave them nutrition, 
but it was a foreign land that forgot. It forgot the story, and in doing so had enslaved the people of God. How short are the memory of the nations. How quickly we can forget things. That land that had forgotten, putting the people in slavery, they cried out to their God, and the Passover remembers that their God hears. He heard their cry. He heard their voices. And he delivered his people out of that land. He brought their people out. And the Passover is a celebration of the time when they were passed over by the blood of the Lamb that was spilled on the door frames of the houses. That by the death of that Lamb, the people would find life and would find something new. They would find hope. So the Passover, as they gathered together, would remember the events of the history but it would also remind them of the hope that they were given. A hope of a time when the land would be their own. A hope of a time when the kingdom would be established. A hope of a time when they would have a king. A king that could, could rule justly and with might and with power. But Israel is not that much different from you. Israel is not that much different from me. Israel still found itself to be much like that little boy standing in the kitchen, grabbing their stomach, and insisting that they are still hungry. They found themselves looking to find their feasts in many different places, finding something that could maybe fill their hunger. not very different from you or from me. After all, what is it that we find to try and feast on, to fill our hunger? What is it that as we go from this place, will we start to search to find food elsewhere? Seeking, trying to eat as much as we can, only to find ourselves empty, and maybe even a little hangry. What is it that has led you to hunger in such a way? Israel's was that they could never fully put their trust in God. He showed them steadfastness. He showed them love. He showed them everything he could possibly give to them. And yet, even still, as they entered into their land, it was not enough. So they needed for him to raise up a king to rule over them, just like all the other nations. And it turns out even that was not enough. And so he started to send them, his prophets, and yet every time a prophet was sent, they did nothing but kill him. Eventually they found themselves in another foreign land, only to be brought back, and only to again abandon their God. So a new supper came into being. A supper given to us by the only one who could quench hunger. A supper brought to us by the only one 
who could dare to call himself the bread of life, the one whose cup continuously overflows, the one who brings to you and to me a cup of salvation. And so he brings to us a new supper, a supper that, that connects us to the past, the way in which not only do we see how he hears the voices of Israel, but we see the way in which he hears the voices of his people now. That in our constant cry in a foreign land, the way we find ourselves lost and crying out to be found, he hears our voices and responds. In this supper, we're reminded of the way that he responds to these voices. Because as we find ourselves in these present times, lost, confused, and maybe even hungry for something more, he offers up himself. Take, eat. This is my body. The body of the one who made you. Take, eat, this is my body, the body of the one who has died for you. Take, eat, this is my body, the body that walked and talked and lived in a sinless way. Take, eat, this is my body, the body that moved for you. One of the challenges I constantly hear comes up against the faith. Is that to be a person of the faith, you just you must just have your head in the past. Or maybe you just have your head in a different dimension. Maybe that's not something you've heard, but but I have certainly heard it from friends and different people. And the supper is a great response to that. That our faith deals with someone who's actually come to us. That our faith doesn't just deal with the things of the past, doesn't even just deal with the troubles of the present. But our faith pulls our heads up and points us to the future as well. That in this supper, it brings us to a time, a time when we are actually able to eat and to drink with all who are in this kingdom. A supper that reminds us in the past that our God has heard our cries then. The promise is that he will hear our cries in the future as well. In this supper, we hear of the forgiveness that came to us in the past. And the promise comes to us of the ways that the forgiveness will come to us in the future. For those transgressions that you and I may not know will come our way. But God's mercy is prepared to meet them anyway. The promise of this supper is the way in which we had felt abandoned in the past only to look and see our God was there and to hear in the way of the future that he will continue to walk with us now and then. Because it's a supper who has been given to us by the one who says, Behold, I will go with you everywhere. It's because of things like this gift tonight that we celebrate. That the anthems will ring up on Sunday. 
that we'll give praise to the Lord and we'll say, say that word that's been taken away from us for some ungodly reason in my opinion. Because our faith doesn't just remember the past. This supper isn't just calling us to the past. But it points us to the future as well. It gives us hope Hope that as we go through the times of today, there will be a time when things will be different. Hope that the love that I have known in the past will continue on with me into the future. Hope that as Christ had given himself up for me then, the truth of that remains true for the future. So we will take this bread we will celebrate. We will celebrate a God who has pulled us, pulled us into a hope, pulled us into the future. Amen?